I think women need to be brave and step up and step into that space, not just of agriculture, but absolutely nature and land management and environmental conservation. In all of the practices and all the farming we're doing, we're trying to establish that deep connection to country, to the animals upon it, with each other, with our community, the people that we feed. Um, I think those are the connections that we need to re-establish to to actually um, change the status quo. This podcast series, Queensland Women, Inspiring Stories from Environmental Champions, gives voice to the vital environment support and ecological sustainability work undertaken by inspiring women practitioners, advocates and thought leaders in this state. We hope that it offers our audience and particularly women listeners energising ideas and encouraging role models which can help motivate them as they develop their own contributions toward building a genuinely sustainable future in this place. To be clear, that would be a future based upon much improved levels of human and other species health and well-being, much improved levels of social fairness and an authentic, sustainable economic prosperity which leaves no one behind. The series was produced for Hope Incorporated Australia in Toowoomba, Queensland, on and adjacent to the traditional lands of the Jarawa, Guyabal, Yugara and Waka Waka peoples of the surrounding region. Hope pays respect to the past, present and emerging leaders of all First Nation Australians in this country and celebrates the unique contributions their cultures make to this place. Those contributions include Indigenous spiritual respect and care for country, the sovereignty of which was never ceded. We acclaim Indigenous stewardship of the nature of Australia, undertaken over many, many thousands of years, and the model that stewardship provides us now in this place, as we survey and attempt to repair some of the environmental damage created by the often misguided development approaches of only the last 200 years or so. Hello and welcome. My name is Andrew Nicholson and I am the producer of the podcast series. The practice of regenerative agriculture, as described by one of its best-known Australian advocates, farmer Charles Massey, is a system of farming which doesn't push the land beyond what it is naturally capable of sustaining without chemical inputs. It's a form of farming that values a complex and healthy soil, and is underpinned by the principle that healthy landscapes lead to healthy food and therefore healthy people and a healthy planet. From an environmental protection and enhancement perspective, regenerative agriculture is recognized as being capable of increasing ground cover, soil carbon and diversity of soil biology, improving soil water retention capacity and encouraging beneficial plants and animals that provide natural ecosystem services such as pollination and insect or vermin control. Regenerative as opposed to industrial scale agriculture is also reported as having considerably lower toxic chemical environmental impact through its much reduced inputs of pesticides and synthetic fertilizers with the additional benefit to the farmer of reducing the expense of purchase and application of those products. My guest in this podcast episode, Janita Breen, has, along with her husband and children, developed extensive experience of this environmentally supportive form of farming. She describes the Breen farm as a regenerative, multi-species family business, which provides food for a wide variety of clients and customers in the region through its community-supported agriculture program. The diverse operations of the farm are rooted in the values of four goods, defined as 
good for the animal, good for the land, good for the farmer and good for you, that is the consumer. Janita says that these four good principles and a focus on a circular economy of operation are key to this small 700-acre farm's viability and success. In this episode, Janita describes her journey toward regenerative agriculture expertise and how her family helped bring this successful example of a more genuinely sustainable and future-focused form of farming to the southeast Queensland region. So after that very long and extensive introduction, welcome, Janita. It's great to talk with you today. Thanks, Andrew. It's really wonderful to be here. Let's start the conversation by asking you to give us a bit of brief personal background history on your environmental support interests, specifically around this first question. Do you remember how your passion for the environment started? Um, Well, I actually grew up on a wholesale nursery, so my family was always in horticulture, um, which is a different form of farming, and so there was always a connection to plants and and, um, nature and living things. Um, but I think this really evolved once we purchased our own property um, at Colleyville and moved on, moved onto that farm there in the scenic rim region, replacing animals with plants. And staying with uh, earlier times, you know, when talking about early formative experiences in a career, profession, or calling, you know, people often refer to other people who influence them. So my next question logically is: Is there anyone in particular you remember? who inspired or mentored you in your work? Um, Obviously, two significant men in my life, probably um, my husband, Randall. So he's incredibly passionate about uh, regenerative agriculture and agroecology. And he really, I suppose, drove this journey into into regenerative agriculture. Um, And obviously my father too, he you know, growing up with him as a horticulturalist and plants and nursery, absolutely. He he definitely, for all us kids, he definitely embedded a passion for nature and appreciation. Um, along with those, you know, obviously on a personal level, the, there's names like Charles Massey and Bruce Pascoe. You know, these guys are the forebearers of Regen Ag. Um, their books, their works, um, around this subject is incredibly inspiring and they're wonderful storytellers um, in this space and I'd encourage everyone to get their books and read them if they haven't already. And, you know, on that score, I've heard, you know, both those uh, authors, thought leaders, for want of a better mm. term, you know, mentioned by other uh, guests. So, and we'll definitely put links to those uh, the works of those authors um into the uh, show show notes that go along with the um, podcast episode so you know, listeners can hopefully follow up on that stuff so look very interesting to hear those direct personal influences but also as you know in in later life some of that more um textual based stuff coming into your head mm-hmm. but moving now on to some of your direct experiences and activities you know how you've actually i suppose applied some of this learning and knowledge as you went along how did you get involved with the ideas of environmental conservation to begin with? You know, when did you first start? Um, well, we're we're actually first generation farmers, so farming. We've been farming on the land we're on now for nine years, and then prior to that, at our first farm in Colleyville, we were there for another four. So we're very new farmers. We recognise that. 
Um, but our, our background is in community development and social science. And so for us, um, when we looked at stepping into that farming world and agricultural world, I think there was there wasn't any other option for us rather than regenerative agricultural agroecology. It was a it was a marriage of value sets, really. And I think, you know, that responsibility towards the environment and and conserving and respecting nature and ecosystems, just like our communities, it really resonated. As always, you know, throughout this series, I'm I'm a, a sort of bigger picture person. I don't have I'm a lay person from the point of view of agriculture. You know, I I know of some of these fantastic initiatives. You know, regenerative agriculture, holistic management coming in. But I'm always trying to, I suppose, make links um, both for my own making sense purposes, but also perhaps you know for a, a more lay um, audience that might be listening to some of this stuff outside of agriculture. You know, some of these um, ideas of regeneration. Um, they seem to be you know fit very well with a bigger picture application of environmental stewardship more generally um a respectful dealing with uh nature and the natural world also concepts like well-being economics you know, the idea of actually having an, an economy that Absolutely. links to both social and environmental concerns in a much more um integrated way and planetary boundaries mm-hmm. um you know the the the, the absolute mm-hmm. ecological limits to what we do versus this idea that we can just have untrammeled economic growth uh, someone once said wasn't it you you know the only Absolutely. the only person yeah. who believes yeah. in an un, you know unending growth on a fixed planet is either a mad person or or an economist you know i mean that was the the standard sort of uh, critique <laughs> but, but, yeah, like but anyway <laughs> um thanks for that sort of you know overview of your early uh, formative uh, background how you've got to be here in a sense um yeah. Now, thinking more bra- broadly about your work and your professional life experience, people sometimes, and I, we've touched upon this, you know, already in the sense of um, early influences, but people also sometimes talk about having a light bulb or aha moment in terms of what they're doing. Um, so the question here is, you know, was there a specific moment in time when you first realised what beneficial impact your work was having in protecting or restoring the environment? A light bulb moment. I don't know if there was a single light bulb moment. I think it's a series of light bulbs for us. Um, I think when you can see when you can see um, the restoration happening in your environment physically, um, and when you can feel it, uh, like in terms terms of some tangible um, measures, you know, increasing our soil organic matter. Um, doubling it, even though we've gone through the worst drought in history. You know, some of those measures, um, seeing the native fauna return to the environment. And we actually, we recently had a farm tour and one of our um, attendees, one of our long-term customers, he'd come to one of our very first farm tours on the farm, you know, six years ago. And he recently attended another one. And he said what really struck him was the bird life and that return of bird life to the environment on the farm. That was really exciting to hear. And so it's these ever-constant realisations. So I think, yeah, not one light bulb moment, but many. Yeah, well, it's, it's great, you know. And, and again, I'm struck. I, I've already interviewed an, another guest in this sort of space, holistic management, regenerative agriculture space, and I'm struck, you know, uh, at you know a number of ways about the fact that you're getting on with doing some of this truly um, integrated, triple bottom line environment 
society economy stuff you know in a sense in a, in a quiet way behind the scenes because these ideas have been around for a long time mm-hmm. uh, in environmental science you know even the the earth system science level concepts of social and ecological systems that are closing to connection planetary boundaries have been around for 10 to 15 years now but mm-hmm. it's one thing to have these concepts you know in the scientific literature it's another thing to see them being applied in practical on the ground literally on the ground terms it's fantastic it's been really inspiring to hear this that the agriculture sector in terms of regenerative stuff is getting on with the job um and uh, i just think you know some of that other stuff a truly sustainable you know future we know has to focus on those intimate connections between the human community and the physical environment this idea that we're separate from nature and that we can just keep on doing our own, our old, you know, extractive and destructive stuff, you know, has, has got to come. To, well, it has come to the end Absolutely. of its work of life. But, yeah. you know, tell that, tell that to some sectors of society. <laughs> but anyway, you know, the fact that you are modelling the alternatives, uh, the very productive and, and um, you know, ecologically sound alternatives is fantastic. Um, so, look, let's let's just now move on, on a little bit as we go through this really interesting interview. Um, let's consider some specific accomplishments. We've been talking about on-the-ground stuff that is actually demonstrating the ability of these ideas to work in practice in the agriculture set- setting. So are there any environmental achievements you are particularly satisfied with or proud of and why? Um, I think one one area that we're hugely proud of is is our uh, work with um, yield stream feed we call it a waste stream feed so each week um, we divert five tons of what would be considered waste um, food waste in the Brisbane region and we bring that back to the farm and we utilize that either as compost or as to feed our animals and so we're diverting that from landfill um, and that's something to be hugely proud of. I, I think in terms of touching that space, we are it, it's like a drop in the ocean. It, when we first started to dip our toe into that water of of um, of waste that's generated through, through our food system and manufacturing, it was unbelievable. We were we were blown away with how much gets wasted um, on a weekly or daily basis. And so that's something really, we're we're really proud to be part of diverting that from landfill each week. Um, I think too, you know, we've we've worked really hard at creating uh, community connections, and we have an incredible community around us. And you know, each week we now we feed um, over a hundred families um, with the food that we produce on our farm, and uh, working with nature. So they're probably really two things that i think as a farm we're incredibly proud of i think again you you know you just operationalized in the agricultural sort of format you know that idea we we mentioned that briefly at the beginning but the circular economy and again it is yeah. a sort of in a sense taking the lesson from nature trying to mimic nature in effect there is no waste in nature uh but we Absolutely. we have these end of pipe linear take make waste um models in western development up to now uh which has created all the problems you're trying to bend the pipe in effect we're all trying to bend the pipe might be one way like to make it into a circular and you're doing that with the the use of waste to actually create you know very nutritious food i mean what you can't really go past that can you it's fantastic yeah i i'd love i'd love to see every council region put a um an employee on that manages waste not in the sense of the conventional normal sense that we're doing it now 
but in that sense of connecting farmers or producers with with the waste options and and diverting that every council in Australia should have a, an employee who works on that and manages that really I'd love to see that outcome absolutely well you know hopefully the ripple effects of this discussion who knows there might be someone you know listening you know, <laughs> no. behind the scenes like have you heard this you know you need to listen to this yeah I just think also very quickly that d- direct connection also to quality of food you know, in a in a overpopulated world or a very populous world, depending on your viewpoint, you know, the need, the ability to feed the world, but to feed it with good quality food, um, nutrient dense food. You know, all of that uh, benefit of compost, the the the, the uh, bacterial organisms in the compost, etc., actually mm. leading to soil improvement, which leads to the you know the improvement of the actual plants that grow there for the actual food that people eat. Um, so that direct connection to human health as well, which again. Um, that connection is starting to come in or it's been coming in at the scientific level, you know, planetary health, keep the ecology of the planet healthy. You'll also keep the human health, um, you know, going as well. There's a direct connection. to Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that idea of holism, of interconnection, it, you know, it runs through your talk. It's run through um, the talks of other guests as well. Everything is connected to everything else. If we can actually operationalize that and make it a, a reality, we're going to massively benefit. Yeah, absolutely. So look. Uh, Janita, as we now move through the story of your, you know, regenerative agricultural work and contributions, it, it can't have all been plain sailing, as they say, or you know, a bed of roses. If you're trying to think of an agricultural thing, um, inevitably there must have been a few or more than a few obstacles for you to overcome along the way. And I think people, you know, whenever they look at innovators, entrepreneurs, people who are trying to, you know, bring in new ideas, new ways of doing things, I think people are interested in how they overcame the challenges. You know, what are the, what's the motivation behind that? How do they keep going with it, et cetera, et cetera. So the question specifically here would be, you know, what have been some of the challenges you faced in your regen agriculture journey and how have you overcome them? Yeah, wow. Um so I think if we looked at our journey over the last nine years specifically on this farm we're on now, um, we have experienced a uh, the worst drought on record on, in recorded history. Um, we've had fire, not on our property, but up over Cunningham's Gap. We've um, had floods, major flooding. Uh, we had a major mouse plague. Um, we had had an introduced disease. And obviously, as everyone has experienced, the pandemic. So, you know, I think these are events, you know, and we hear them being described as once in a hundred year events. And I think the language around that needs to change because if we can be here for nine years and experience all of those in our very short time of farming, something is very wrong with the system. Um, You know, I think as we... As we increase and continue to increase our impact on the world and, you know, our natural environment, these events will just become more and more common, unfortunately. Um, I think the only way we can overcome them um, is to be more resilient um, and to work in partnership with our landscape, which is obviously what we are aiming to do in our in our farming operation. Um I think we've really got to stop and listen and and try and observe what it's trying to tell us. Um, we've got to be more responsible uh, how in how we manage it. And, and I think the most important thing is we need to advocate and we need to share the story of what's happening um, and also, too, what we're trying to achieve, what the answer is. 
and how we can turn this around and change it for the good. I love that last bit, particularly, you know, the visioning aspect of this, you know, it, it might seem obvious to some people, but the, the thing is, if you can't imagine an alternative future, how can you work towards it? But that, again, seems to have escaped some of the great and the good, you know, that, that run the planet at one level. But I think that, again, that idea of visioning, you know, good alternatives to the destructive practice that we're engaging in at the moment uh, too often is coming in. And it, and it clearly seems mm. to be front and centre in region agriculture, holistic management. That seems to be some of the principles, you know, have a vision, have the values that back that vision up. That's going to drive, you know, that you're going to have your goals, but that's going to drive effective action towards achieving those goals that's in line with the vision and the values. Again, you know, that stuff's mm. been around for a long time, uh, alignment of values and vision. But again, to see it being operated is so fantastically inspiring. And the other, the other thing you mentioned there, which is almost like a golden ticket word at the moment, resilience, uh, it's a word like sustainability that gets bandied around a lot, you know, as to who everyone's got a definition. Yeah. But it is an extremely, along with holism, it's an extremely um, important concept when it's applied seriously, you know, in whether it's in agriculture or general sustainability thinking, resilience being thought of as the ability to main a, uh, maintain a steady course or state in the face of experiencing shocks or disturbance. Um, so that's a very useful idea. It's closely linked with notions of the ability to adapt, to change successfully, or to maintain a steady course in the face of disturbing forces. And as, as you've just implied, as far as the environment's concerned, there's plenty of those knocking about. Coming back to the... Absolutely. And yeah, go on. Go, no, go for it. Go for it. And Well, I, I think... I think environment is never static. Nature is never static anyway. And so we have to be resilient in terms of that adaptability. That's that's key. If we want to work with nature and we want to work with environment, yeah, it's 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 actually uh, it has to happen. Sorry. No, 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 no. Hey, we're not saying sorry in this podcast. This is all about women's <laughs> this is all about women's voices. I'm gonna edit this. I'll be editing this down. But seriously, no, please do interrupt me, you know, because I'll just waffle on. Um, but coming back to the specific uh discussion, I mean th that idea of resilience is so uh useful as well because it can be used for you know general environmental matters, but it also comes down to the personal. So coming back to your personal story. Uh, of you know moving through this uh, regen agriculture experience, I think people um, and audiences are often interested in what makes other people tick in terms of the driving force and motivation that motivates them to keep on doing what they do, a form of resilience in effect, you know, because people manage to keep on doing this in spite of setbacks or whatever. So how do they do that? You know, what do they manage? How do they manage that? So a question here about personal motivation and staying on course to achieve things in one's work or career let's let's take that example because that's what we're really talking about in your in you know with yourself despite mm -hmm. um challenges and difficulties so the specific question is in your particular case janita how do you feel your work has influenced your well-being motivation and determination to keep doing what you do um, well, well, agriculture, and I think even even more specifically, regenerative agriculture is a really challenging industry. It's not um, it's not an easy <laughs> um, road to take. Uh, I think, despite that, the the act of working in the natural environment and and with the soil, with the animals, and in your landscape, it actually gives you a very deep satisfaction and I I think about our 
you know, our First Nations people and Indigenous people and their deep connection to country. And I think that really resonates. There's a there's a deep satisfaction in working in partnership with your environment. And that definitely is a huge motivator, despite the, you know, numerous challenges that we've we've experienced in our in our short farming career. Um, I think my partner and I both uh, are still so passionate and still motivated to keep pushing and to keep working with our landscape and, you know, demonstrating an alternative option to what's currently out there, to the conventional. Because ultimately if we want to see improvement in our landscape, in nature, in our environment, we we have to uptake this form of farming. So, yeah, for me, that's probably, yeah. <laughs> There's a number of ideas you've raised there, and I'm just going to, you know, riff off one or two of them. But I, I just, as you introduced that um, mention of Indigenous, you know, First Nations experiences, I, I just think that it's often cited, you know, and increasingly cited perhaps that um, that love of place that is so fundamental to uh, Indigenous mm. worldviews, that idea of being that the nat- that nature and the human self themselves are, there is no distinction they they are one and the same thing and although in the western yeah. world you know perhaps at times we might have approached that sort of almost mystical spiritual connection I, you know in the past it certainly seems to be coming back stronger now people you, you see this in, in all sorts of ways even from just what might be considered a mundane interest of people in nature documentaries people like to see nature i mean that whole biophilia um sort of concept idea that perhaps mm. we were born with an innate gene that connects us to the natural world if only we could remember it you know um but you know i can only imagine how how <laughs> joyous it must be in effect to be able to live albeit a very difficult life very demanding and hard work but you are almost living that more indigenous connection to place you're you're experiencing that love of place you are in you're enhancing that place you you've got that respectful almost i don't know if it's love but a respectful connection and relationship to place so i can i can understand perhaps only you know in an armchair setting what that might feel like yeah i think you're right that it definitely is a love and i i definitely think it's a deep intimate connection and and i know my partner bangs on about it all the time but he he says that you know we really in all of the practices and all the farming we're doing it's we're trying to establish that deep connection to country to the animals upon it with each other with our community the the people that we feed um i think those are the connections that we need to re-establish to to actually um change the status quo and and, you know again perhaps just riffing off that and without spending too much time, because we're going off script here in a sense, <laughs> one sense. But um, you know that idea in a vicious, backstabbing, hard-nosed world, we need more love. Um, I'm going to start playing a Beatles, a Beatles track in the background here now. But you know, seriously, we do need emotion and love. And and yeah. this may be a stereotypical view, but it's often said that women possess more. Not not entirely. Um, you know, they haven't got a, a monopoly on it, but they possess more of that ability to see that need and bring it to the fore. So I'm hoping that is one of the things that does come out of this podcast series because it, we, I am talking to women specifically. Mm. And I just think that that whole thing, that emotional uh, connection to country, if you if you don't have an affection and love for something, how, how will you respect it? I mean, it's, again, it seems to be a fairly self-evident thing at one level, 
but we seem to have missed the, the actual nose in front of our face in a sense mm. um, with regards to the way we do yeah, things in the definitely. world. All right. Well, after they, these sort of semi-philosophical ramblings here, Janita, let's now <laughs> move toward the end of this really great interview. Let's switch focus to the present moment in 2023 and the future beyond. So just this question now, are you working on any current exciting projects? Yeah, we're actually in the process um, of building an on-farm boning and packing room, which we call our Four Goods Meat House, um, linking back to the Four Goods that you read at the start of the um, interview, introduced. Uh, and so that's a huge project that's been going on for the last two years. Um, incredibly exciting that we're almost at the finish line, um, but we're essentially trying to integrate um that system into our farming, talking about circular models, um, and also to creating greater viability, not just for us and our farm, but also a lot of the farmers in the local region who are wanting to access that service at, an, at a not-for-profit rate. So that's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, look, and again, I think that whole um what used to be termed extension was it i mean but you know ag you know education mm -hmm. passing on ideas within the agriculture sector whatever it is termed now but passing on the message in a in a, um, a systematic way education of the community mm -hmm. having talked to a first guest in this series who is um involved with holistic management it's fantastically exciting to hear how much of that is now coming on stream how much of that educative and training process and you clearly are going to add to that which will be absolutely amazing yeah. So, yeah, the, the, there'll be a workshop um, that sits alongside that, a workshop space that sits alongside that. So, yeah, education is so integral to what we're doing too. It's not just about creating viability for farm, but it's about engaging our consumers and our community and, and educating them on not just the farming systems, but that whole, that whole holistic um, view of agriculture, nature and environment and what we eat. It's, it's going to be so valuable and and given you'll be tapping into that fantastic repository of skills and experience you know nine years so look uh, bring it on it's going to be great and uh you know perhaps <laughs> somewhere down the damn track um you know you're going to be able to flag that up it's probably too early to flag it up in this podcast series uh in terms of that particular aspect of your business but no doubt there will be mm -hmm. other op options to get that um out there to a wider audience so finally, Janita, a last question for you. Um, this is on the ability to hand on the benefits of the regen agriculture experience you've gained um, to the audience, uh, you know, who might be inspired to take some immediate st next steps toward building a, a genuine, ecologically sustainable future in this place. Um, you'll, you'll eventually have that training space, that fantastic you know, initiative you just mentioned to achieve those objectives, which will be brilliant. But before that happens, do you have a brief take-home message that helps summarise the ideas of regenerative agriculture you've been talking about today? And on the motivation front, do you have any advice specifically for women wanting to step up into regenerative agriculture, landscape and wildlife protection or other environment support roles? Anything you, you might have to say about that? Yeah, I obviously think women are going to be integral in that and I think you hit it on the head before I think there's an innate they don't own love but they have an innate nurturing spirit and I think you know it's been such a male dominated industry for so long so 
I think women need to be brave and step up and step into that space, not just of agriculture, but absolutely nature and land management and environmental conservation. Um, if I wanted to leave them with one um, last message um, of encouragement, I think, you know, and, and I'm going to steal this from my partner because I think it's great, <laughs> but his, his, one of his um, mottos or is to be a patient, um, attentive observer and look in the landscape and create um, a intimate connection with it, the the what's beneath the soil, what's above the soil, and and actually just re-engage and listen to what it's trying to tell us. I think that's it doesn't matter what kind of uh, environmental engagement you have, whether it's in conservation, agriculture, but that patient, attentive observer and reconnecting is absolutely that's what I can recommend. Working with nature, relating respectfully and um, positively to nature. What a a brilliant and optimistic message and rallying call to end this wonderful interview. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. I'm sure you've given our audience some great ideas which can help inform their own thinking about possible next steps toward building a genuine, ecologically sustainable future in this place. And hopefully, you know, they will start their own conversations on regenerative agriculture, for instance, or other environmental topics with their friends, colleagues, within employing organisations or in their professional associations. But as with each of our guests in this series, we also hope that your particular inspiring story of the work you've done will ripple out far and wide and, and, and create influence everywhere. But for now, on behalf of my podcast support organisation, Householders Options to Protect the Environment, it just remains for me to thank you very warmly for our conversation today. Thanks, Andrew. It's been really wonderful. You've been listening to a podcast episode in the series Queensland Women, Inspiring Stories from Environmental Champions. The series was produced for Householders Options to Protect the Environment Incorporated as part of the Queensland Women's Week 2023 event and it aligns with the objectives of the Queensland Women's Strategy 2022-2027. Hope thanks the Queensland Department of Justice and Attorney General's Office for Women and Violence Prevention for the generous funding support which made this podcast project possible. Please consult the episode text notes for possible follow-up material on topics discussed and any relevant contact details should you wish to respond to anything you've heard. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider promoting it across your networks and giving it a positive rating in your preferred podcast app. My name is Andrew Nicholson, producer of the series, and thank you for listening.